Good morning and welcome to Westgate Chapel. We would love to have you stand and sing with us. Every secret, every shame.
right, good morning. I think some of you are still frozen. You're like, do we, do we clap? Um, so we're glad you're here. I'm glad that you thawed yourself out this morning and decided to come and worship with us in person. Um, welcome to all of you who decided uh, to stay on your comfy, warm couches this morning, but we're so glad that you're all here. Um, if uh, Hopefully you grabbed the sermon notes on your way in. Um, we also have connection cards in the pew in front of you, especially if you're a visitor. Um, please make sure you fill out that card and take it to the guest center right outside these doors. We've got a gift for you. We'd love to greet you. Um, those of you who are regular attenders should do that too. But if you haven't already, um, please download the Westgate Chapel app. It is so helpful. I was even just this week pulling up the information on the Sunday school classes that are going to be happening. Um, just wonderful information. You might hear something here on a Sunday morning and then forget it between now and next Sunday. That's a great resource for you. Um, the connection card is also there along with sermon notes. And the other thing I love about the app, there's actually a place where you can share prayer requests there. And the staff loves to take time um, to pray for the needs of our church family. So um, if you don't have that already, definitely download that now and take a look at the screen for a few more uh, notes. You can have a seat. Good morning and welcome to Westgate Chapel. We are so glad you chose to worship with us today. My name is Evan and I'm on the worship team here at Westgate. Thanks for joining us. At Westgate, we want to be a place where you can easily and deeply get connected into the life of our church and deeply rooted in your relationship with Jesus. We've got a couple opportunities coming up that will help you make meaningful connections with our church family. Are you new to Westgate? Then you're invited to the New People Party. Join us on February 4th after the second service for lunch. You'll get to meet some of our staff, connect with other new people, and learn a little about Westgate. Sign up at westgatechapel.org events to let us know you are coming. We can't wait to meet you. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, mark your calendars for a spectacular Sunday morning. On February 11th, prepare to be amazed at Westgate Chapel's ministry fair. Step right up and immerse yourself in the wonders of our incredible ministries. Join us after both services and journey into the atrium. Behold the marvels that await you as you indulge in delectable fair foods that will tickle your taste buds. Marvel at the spectacular booths showcasing each of our ministries. A dazzling array of opportunities awaits you. Whether you're a daring newcomer or a seasoned member of the Westgate Church family, the Ministry Fair is your ticket to a world of connection and excitement. For more jaw-dropping details, check out our Westgate app or visit the events page. The countdown to the Ministry Fair has begun, and we can't wait to welcome you. This morning will be an amazing time of worshiping together. There are so many exciting things happening today at Westgate, and we're so glad you joined us. Enjoy the service. All right, we have some great things to look forward to. Right now, would you please stand up and take a minute to say hello to the people around you. If you need something to talk about, you can tell them what your favorite tropical vacation place would be.
Turn the mic back on. Let's give a hand to the Lord again this morning. Let's give him praise together. Man, we have, we have come to worship you, God. And in the midst of a world that if we watch the news, God, we see it falling apart all around us. But Lord, you are constant. Lord God, you are in control. Lord God, your word tells us that you hold us in the very palm of your hand. And this is the very thing, Lord, as we understand that the God of the universe who has created all things is in control of all things. As we understand that we sit in the palm of your hand, Father, it provides us such incredible hope, even as we watch the world passing away. But Father, it also places a passion inside of our hearts to recognize, God, that not only do we want to be secure in you, but we want other people to be secure in you. We want more people, Father, in this world to come to a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. So God, I thank you that we have the opportunity to gather together and to worship you today. I thank you that we can be in this house together, whether it's here on site or worshiping at home on the live stream, God. You have provided us this family, a place where we can grow deeper in you, but even more, God, where we can be challenged to go out and to take what you have done in our lives and to share it with a world that desperately needs you. Fill and infuse our hearts, God, with that passion. As we come to our time of worship and offering, Father, we are giving back to you what you have given to us because our desire, God, is that those resources would be multiplied by you in such a way that it would further your kingdom work. But as we come to worship God, one of the things that we recognize is that it can be very easy for us to give out of our lives from a place of compulsion. It can be very easy, Father, whether it's our resources financially, whether it is our time or our giftedness, 
Sometimes we confess to you, God, that we do things because it's the thing we're supposed to do rather than giving from a place of worship in our hearts. God, I pray that as we give this morning that you would remind us that we don't give out of compulsion, but we give because we love you. We give of our financial resources. We give of our time. We give of the giftedness that you have given us because our greatest heart's desire is to be a part of what you are doing things in this world that will last for eternity. And so we invest in that. And Father, we surrender our hearts to you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take our morning offering. And so if you're on the center rows here, you can scoot over, grab those offering buckets. You can begin to pass those out. And let's continue together in a spirit of worship as we uh, take up our morning offering. As we get started again, you, the proud, the faithful, the ones who brave the minus 17 wind chill to be here in person, just so good to be worshiping with you. And for those of you that are online, I promise I don't think you're weak, but maybe just a little. So, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Enjoy that warm blanket. My own father from Texas sent me a picture just a few minutes ago to my phone talking about the fact that it is minus two wind chill in Texas. And he is sitting in front of his computer screen watching this morning with a bowl of popcorn and hot chocolate. So I asked him to send it to me, and he said he would email it over. So um, exciting stuff. Well, hey, uh, if we haven't had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Rob Zimmerman. I'm the lead pastor here at Westgate. And uh, before we jump into the word this morning, I got two things I just want to continue to make you aware of that are coming up uh, here that are super important. The first thing is next Sunday is our annual meeting Sunday. And I hope that you will choose uh, to be here with us next Sunday. We're going to be celebrating a lot of the great things uh, that we have seen God doing in our church. As you come, we're going to have our uh, annual reports that you can grab. It's a full color brochure that outlines just some incredible stories and numbers that tell the story of what God has been doing in our church over this past year. We're going to celebrate that together in our service, but then following our second service, we're going to have our annual meeting where we get together and also talk about where God is leading us in this year to come. If you're a member, a regular attender, I invite you to come and join us. Uh, we'll be meeting in our gymnasium after the second service for a luncheon, and uh, you're invited to come. We'll have child care that is available. Uh, so we'll be talking about what we see, where God is leading us, but we're also going to take care of some business. We'll be voting on uh, who will be elders and also deacons in this year to come. Hopefully, if you're a member, you received that email this week with some bios uh, about those people that you'll be voting on as well. You should have received a link uh, for the bylaw recommendations. Again, if you want any of that information, you can also pick it up at the kiosk in the main entrance uh, this morning. Uh, but it is going to be a great morning together. Can I ask you to do one thing for me, though? Can you be sure to register for next week for the luncheon? It helps us to 
know how many people to uh, provide food for. And you can do that by grabbing a connection card in the pew in front of you, writing your name and how many people from your family are coming at the close of the service. You can drop it in one of the two buckets in the back and we'll get that. You can also register online or by using the Westgate app. Uh, But here's the deal. If you're like, I forgot to register, uh, it doesn't matter. Still come, show up. We will have food for you, uh, but that will just be helpful for, for our team that is providing the food. The second thing I want to make sure you're aware of is that following our service this morning, we are having our life group sign up event. And we believe that one of the best ways to get connected, but also to grow in a relationship with Christ is when we are connected relationally with each other. We believe that's best accomplished through life groups here at Westgate. And that is one of the ways that you can get connected with others and grow deeper in Christ. The life group sign up event, as I said, will be happening after the service over across from the cafe. We have a number of life group leaders that will be at tables. You can walk right up, introduce yourself, find out when they're meeting, find about, out about that group, uh, see if it might be a fit for you. If it's not, no pressure, that's okay. And if you can't find a group to connect into, there's also a place to just sign up and put your name on a sheet of paper. Pastor Adam or Bethany, our uh, uh, adult ministry uh, coordinator, will also get in touch with you uh, to help you find that place of connection. So please be sure to stop by. Uh, Life groups are just an awesome, awesome thing to be a part of here at Westgate. Now, as we uh, jump into our message this morning, I was thinking back as I was looking at, at the series that we were in, I was thinking back to when I was in junior high, and there were certain pictures and images uh, in junior high that had kind of become popular. Some of you have probably heard of these before. They're called sternograms. Has anybody ever heard of a sternogram? Maybe you don't remember the term, but it looks like what you see here up on the screen. Sternogram images, uh, again, are images where you look at them, you see one thing, but there is also a hidden image in the picture. Now, can I ask a question? How many of you have been able to see the images that are in these pictures in the past? Anybody? Okay, yeah. The, you know, there's, you're, they tell you that there's a unique way that you're supposed to look at these images, and then you can see it. Can anybody tell what's in this picture? One person in first service could figure it out. Anybody? Shout it out. A giraffe. No, but, good try. Here's what it is. I, I wasn't quite sure. It's a sternograph. I wasn't quite, or I wasn't quite sure, or a phonograph. Did I say sternograph? Phonograph. I wasn't quite sure how these would work blowing them up, but I'll, I'll throw another one up here, and while I talk, you can kind of figure this out. They say that there's a special way to look at these pictures, that really what you need to do is not just look at the picture, but you kind of need to look beyond the picture in order to be able to see them. Can anybody tell what's in this one? Any pros here? Uh, Quickly, so as not to spend too much time on it, uh, go to the next one, Sherry. You can see that there is a shark that is hidden in this picture. Now you're like, I couldn't see that. You didn't give me enough time. Uh, That's okay. Um, here's, Here's how these pictures work. And while I do this, Sherry, you can throw up the next picture as well. Here's how these things work. Again, they say that you're supposed to look through the picture. Here's the deal. When we look at an image, typically what we do is we just look at it at face value, what is right in front of us. In each of our eyes, as as we look to have kind of 3D images, each of them focus down to a point in a picture. The way that you're supposed to look at these pictures is as though you're looking at something down the road. And when you look at something down the road, your eyes, instead of focusing like this, begin to open up and look more straight ahead. And that's supposed to help you be able to see the picture. Now, if you have eye problems like myself, uh, I have never been able to see a single one of these things. Anybody see what this is? 
an airplane. Very good. We have an airplane in this picture. I don't, have, I don't have the other picture for you, but you can take that down, Sherry. Here's what I want you to catch as you're looking at these images. If you look only at, is what, only at what is right in front of you, you will miss the bigger picture. If you look only at what is right in front of you, you will miss the bigger picture. We started a new series last week entitled Nearsighted Together. And when we talk about nearsightedness, this is the definition that we came up with. If you have your sermon notes, you can follow along with me. We said that nearsightedness is a human condition in which we tend to focus on circumstances that are right in front of us at the expense of missing the best of what God has for us. Again, nearsightedness is a human condition in which we tend to focus on circumstances right in front of us at the expense of missing the best of what God has for us. We summarize this down into a very tight saying that is at the top of your notes, which is this, which is we see now often, but God sees next. This definition is similar to what we might say about a person who's fixated on what is immediately happening in front of them in their life, and they don't pay attention to the potential ramifications of decisions that they may make in the moment. I've shared before, when I was a young boy, I had tons and tons of Star Wars figures, original ones, hundreds of them, and then a lot of the larger toys that I would play with. And one day, when my family had a garage sale, I decided I was going to sell them all. And my dad warned me. He said, son, don't sell those. They will be collector's items. They will be worth lots of money. But all I could see was the dollar signs in front of me, and I was like, I could sell all of these things for $25 right now. And so I didn't listen and consider the ramifications, and I just just took what was immediately in front of me. And then the next set of movies came out and I found out that I probably had around $10,000 worth of things that I sold to a family for $25. You see, we can easily have this human condition in which we focus on circumstances right in front of us at the expense of missing things down the road, which we would also say is the best of what God has for us. And when we began this series, we said that we were going to look at different ways in which this human condition of nearsightedness affects us. Last week, we talked about it this way, that nearsightedness fails to see the brokenness of our human condition, and it embraces sin over the best for our, God's best for our lives. We talked about Adam and Eve together, and we said that nearsightedness has its foundation in the original sin that was committed within the garden. You'll remember that Adam and Eve walked in a perfect relationship with God, and the only thing that God told them they couldn't do was to eat from one tree that was in the garden. But Satan came along, and he convinced them that somehow God was holding out on them, and they were missing out on more that they could have in their life that would make their life even better. And so what Adam and Eve chose to do was to disobey God and they what they chose to do seemed to be immediately gratifying right in front of them. So they did it without consideration of the ramifications of those choices and decisions that they were making. But it was a decision that they made that was met with immediate regret. The, when they made the decision, they didn't experience this great joyful bliss of this new enlightenment. But rather the Bible tells us that they saw their nakedness and what came into their life was a bunch of guilt and a bunch of shame. And what happened when they sinned against God, their nearsightedness brought brokenness between them and God, brokenness in their relationship with each other as human beings, but it also brought brokenness throughout all of creation. And it's because of this choice that today we also live in a broken world. 
Not only do we live in a broken world, but we ourselves, as part of God's creation, are broken. All of us, the Bible tells us, are, are born with sin, with a propensity to reject God, a near, nearsighted defect that we are born with. And our inclination in this life is often to try to find our greatest joy, our greatest sense of satisfaction and security apart from God and his provision. We want what seems to be immediately gratifying in our lives rather than waiting upon God and what he has. And we constantly keep looking throughout this world to find what it is that we're looking for, but never quite able to get to it. And all the while, Jesus, in his life, in his earthly ministry, and in his death and resurrection, has been calling men and women to have their eyes opened, to remove the blinders that causes us to be nearsighted, but to have our eyes opened, to see the brokenness of our world, but to also see that God has always had what is best for us. And he proved it through his death and his resurrection. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 19. It won't be on the screen, but write this reference down. Ephesians 1, 18 through 19. Listen to the Apostle Paul. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. He says, I pray that your eyes, the eyes of your heart, would be opened, that they would be enlightened, that you would be able to see the hope, the great things that God has in store for you. And how does he define that? He defines it as the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe You see, the riches of his glory and inheritance, he has called us into his family, even as those who have rebelled against God and sinned against God. He sent his son to die on a cross so that we could be invited into a right relationship with God again, receiving a glorious inheritance as a part of God's family, to live and to reign with him forever, receiving our salvation. But he also says that part of what we receive in that is his incomparably great power for us who believe. You see, what Paul is also telling us is is that it's not just our salvation we receive in God's call, but when God calls us, he also calls for us to participate with him in his kingdom work, and that it is the very power of God that will give us the power we need to do all that he has called us to do. What I hope you hear this morning as we dive into our message together is this. Not only is nearsightedness a result of sin that keeps us from God, as we talked about last week, but even after we have come to God and surrendered our lives to him, today we will talk about the fact that nearsightedness also limits how God can use us. In the Christian life, there are things that God calls us to do with him and also for him. But we so easily get our eyes fixed on all sorts of things that hold us back from being all that God designed for us to be. And I can think of no better example to look into this this morning, to understand our human plight of nearsightedness in this way, than to look at another one of the famous people of the Old Testament, and that person is Moses. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to pull them out. You can follow along with me this morning. Uh, to Exodus chapter 3. That is where we are going to ground ourselves this morning. So go ahead and open there your Bible apps, or it'll be on the screen, and you can follow along with me. But as you're turning, I want to give you a little bit of background on Moses. I want to remind you that Moses, he was born an Israelite. 
When you look in Scripture, remember that uh, in order to save Moses, Moses' mom, when he was born, took him, made a little basket, put him in it uh, so that he wouldn't be killed uh, by the Egyptians, and floated him down the river. And uh, as he was floating down the river by God's providence, the daughter of Pharaoh actually found him, took him, and took him into the household of Pharaoh, and that is where Moses grew up. He grew up in a very privileged environment within Pharaoh's household. All the while as he grows up, he watches his people, the Israelites, who are enslaved by the Egyptians, being treated horribly and unfairly as they are enslaved, doing hard labor. As we continue to understand more about Moses, it comes to a point where as he is older, he sees an Israelite who is being mistreated uh, by one of Pharaoh's guards. And so the passage tells us that Moses goes and he kills this guard and people see it and they begin to talk about it. And so he freaks out and he decides to run off, to get away so that he's not going to be caught, so that nobody can kill him. And he runs a long distance from Egypt. And we're going to pick up our passage this morning now where we find Moses after he has fled years later. In the land of Midian is nothing more than a shepherd, and he is going to have an incredible encounter with God. What you will see in your notes is that Moses comes face to face with the unlimited God of the universe. Moses is going to come face to face with the unlimited God of the universe. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, this is what it says. It says that Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside, by the way, understatement of the year, I will turn aside to see the great sight, why this bush is not burned. (coughs) And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said to God, here I am. And then God said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land that is flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites." And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, for I am sending you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, can you imagine this for a moment with Moses? Moses is minding his own business, doing his day job out in Midian, tending to sheep as a shepherd doing his own thing, and as he turns and he looks to the side, he sees that there is this bush that is on fire. Now, that may not be shocking, but what's shocking to him is that this bush, though it's on fire, is not burning, and he walks up to see what is going on, and from this bush, God himself speaks directly to him. And when he speaks to him, he says a couple of things. First, he introduces himself. 
Moses, I am the God of your father. I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Not only does he introduce himself as the God who has been in control of all things and who has created all things, but he also says, I have heard the cry of my people as they are under these oppressive taskmasters in Egypt. And I have come and I have a plan because I am going to release them from their captivity. I mean, this must have been music to Moses' ears. All of a sudden, the thing that probably has burdened his own heart since he killed that guard in Egypt and fled years and years ago, now Moses is thinking, wow, God has heard. And the thing I care about, God cares about, and he is here to rescue his people. But then God looks at him and says, and I have chosen you to lead my people out of this land. Here's what's crazy. You would think to yourself that this is the best news that Moses could have ever received. You would think that he would be so excited. Here, the God of the universe, who is in charge of all things, has appeared to him. But not only has he appeared to him, he's going to do an incredible work, and he's chosen him to be a part of it. What an honor. You think that he would be blowing up social media, telling all of his friends about this incredible thing. But it couldn't be further from the truth. Rather, Moses shrinks back from what God has said, and as we will see in the pages of Scripture to come, is that he begins to offer every excuse about why he should limit his involvement with God's plan. We will see that he has so many excuses, whether it comes to his fear, his insecurities, whatever it may be, and he attempts to limit what God wants to do in but also through his life. And as we read this, I want, and we go through this together this morning, I want us to think about the ways in which we often limit God in our own lives and how God desires to use us. The first thing we're gonna see is that Moses' nearsightedness put limits on what God wanted to do through him by raising every roadblock possible. Every roadblock possible. Letter A in your notes you'll see that the first question that he asks God after he gets this great news is this, who am I? Who am I, God, that I should be the one that you have chosen? Exodus chapter three, verse 11 says this, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? What I want you to see is that Moses was focused on his lack of qualifications. Now, uh, I have had some experience here when I applied to Westgate years and years ago to be the high school pastor here. I wrestled with the same types of things. I remember sitting with Rochelle and talking with a friend of mine as I looked at the job posting for the high school pastor, and I asked my, my friend, I said, hey, man, like, should I apply to this place? To be honest, I looked at how big of a church Westgate was, and I just told him, I said, you know, I really don't think that I'm qualified for this role. And, you know, his response to me was pretty simple. Most people in big churches aren't qualified. Go ahead and do it. But um, he also said, uh, and as we, we talked through this, he, he, he really poured into me. He's like, Rob, you should just look into it and see if God is in it. But I struggled with feeling unqualified. I can remember when Rochelle and I were flown out here to Toledo for our interview, and we drove that first night into the main entrance, and the church opened up in front of us. And all we saw was the outside of the building. I was overwhelmed by that same feeling of I'm not qualified. And I had all sorts of insecurity. And I told Rochelle there's no way that they would hire someone like me. The reason is, is because what I was doing is, is I was looking 
at what God was calling me to do. And then I was looking at myself with my own eyes. And all I could think was, I'm not the right person because this is such a big task and I'm not sure that I'm up for it. You know, Moses really does the same thing, the same thing that we often do when God calls us to do something great for him. Moses looked at the enormity of the task compared to his own personal view of himself. I'm just a shepherd in Midian. I I sit out uh, taking care of sheep all day. That's what I do. I, I killed a man in Egypt and I've run because they wanted to take my own life. And now, God, you're calling me to go and stand before Pharaoh like average men can't go stand in front of kings like that. In that culture in ancient times, if you went without being asked, you could be easily killed on the spot. Who am I to go stand before Pharaoh? And then to ask him to take hundreds of thousands of people that are doing slave labor in his, in his, uh, in his kingdom away and to, and to leave. How in the world could I be qualified for this task, God? Who am I? I don't have what it takes. I don't have my life all together. Do you know the things that I've done that I think disqualify me for this task? God, this sounds like a task for you, not for me. Is that not the same thing that we do when God asks us to be involved in his kingdom work? Who am I, God, really? I don't have what it takes. My life isn't all put together, far from it. Do you know the things that I've done in the past? I feel disqualified. And what is God's response to Moses? And the same response that he has for us. And the verses following, you can summarize it this way. I have chosen you and I will be with you. He reminds Moses that he has chosen him specifically, but that he will go with him and he will give him everything he needs. And you will see this theme repeated with every roadblock and every nearsighted thing that Moses has his eyes fixed on. God says, I will be with you and I will accomplish this. This wasn't good enough for for Moses, so letter B, he asks the question, well, what if they ask me hard questions? Exodus chapter three, verse 13, Moses said to God, "If, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, well, what is his name? What shall I say? What Moses was focused on was his insecurity and what he should say to them. He wasn't sure how he should respond. Have you ever been asked a question about God that you weren't sure how to answer? Have you ever dealt with that fear? Maybe where you felt like you didn't have enough knowledge to answer hard questions from people or you weren't sure you could answer it in a way that would make sense? When I was in college, I've shared with you before my geology class, I had an atheist teacher that uh, loved to belittle and make fun of Christians. And I wanted nothing to do with talking to him because he asked difficult questions, questions that I had never thought through before. He would ask questions like, well, how do you know God exists? If there's a God, why is there suffering in the world? How do you know that the Bible is true and it hasn't been changed? If God is loving, why then would he send people to hell? You know what my biggest struggle was? Was that I had never taken time to think through the answers to these questions and to think through how would be the best way to answer him. So the easiest way to answer was what? To avoid it, to run, to not put myself in a situation where I could be used in that way. Moses's question, I want you to see, falls into this same category. The question that he arises, that he believed the Israelites will, will ask, like who is this that has sent you to us? It's rooted in the fact that the Israelites lived in the midst of a pagan culture 
all of their lives in Egypt. It has been hundreds of years. They have been enslaved within Egypt. And in the ancient world in that time, every people, group, and nation at that time were polytheistic, they were uh, pantheistic, and they were syncretistic. You know what that means? They believed in multiple gods. They believed that God was in everything from the sea to the sky to the trees to the birds to humans to everything. God is in everything. But they were syncretistic. They believed that multiple religions were correct and that you could literally infuse all of them together to get to the right way. It was a very messed up world that they were living in religiously. And the truth is, is that Moses' question is legitimate. They might not actually know who Moses is talking about. But what is God's response to Moses? Let me teach you. Moses, let me give you the words to say because there are answers. He tells them to say, I am has sent me to you. More literally translated, I am means I cause to be. In other words, what God was telling him to say is the creator and sustainer of all things. The one who is in control of all creation and all of history is the one who has sent me to you. God also tells him to say that I am the God of your fathers. And he connects now God to the patriarchs. This is not a new God, but the true God of the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He gives these answers to Abraham and says, there are answers that you can use at your disposal. I'm sorry, I said Abraham. I meant Moses. I did this first service. I went back and forth. He says this to Moses, but Moses still has issues. In letter C, he says, well, what if they don't believe me? And I see us doing this all the time as well. Exodus chapter four, verse one, Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. And in this moment, Moses was focused more on his fear of rejection from the people. You know, one of the biggest hurdles that I believe we face today in sharing Christ with other people is the fear of the cost. We don't want to step out and trust God in this way because we're afraid of the cost. Maybe we'll be ridiculed for what we believe. Maybe we'll lose friends. Maybe we'll lose a job. You know, it's rampant in our culture as the world grows more hostile to the things of God, that Christians become more and more silent with their faith. What we call it in our culture today is this, is that faith is becoming privatized. And the fear of rejection is one of the key drivers to the privatization of our faith, where we don't share it with other people, but it is just our thing alone. But what I want you to hear this morning is this, is that it is a dangerous killer of true faith in God, but a dangerous killer of evangelistic effort in the world with God. When we privatize our faith, it logically narrows the focus of religion. In our culture today, what it's done is it's created a rise of what we would call therapeutic spirituality, where our following Christ and our faith in Christ has become more about an understanding that God's purpose is to help us and to somehow make our lives better. But here's what the cost is. When we believe that the cost is a distorted faith in God, which may not actually be faith at all, but even more, the greatest cost is lost people not hearing the good news of Jesus. Like us, Moses was so worried about the cost, he would much rather stay silent and shrink away. He was so focused on his fears and the ancillary issues out in front of him that he couldn't see the bigger picture of what God wanted to do or how God would accomplish it. So what was God's response? 
God, God's response is really long in the passage when you read it. What he does is he, he performs these three incredible miracles or signs for, for Moses. He has Moses take his staff and throw it down on the ground, and it becomes a snake. And then he tells him to pick it up by the tail, and it becomes his staff again. Then he tells him to take his hand and put it inside of his cloak. And when he pulls it out, it's full of leprosy. It says, white as snow. And then God says, put your hand back in your cloak. He does it again, pulls it out, and it's totally back to normal. And then God looks at him and says, if you do these signs in front of them and they still don't believe that I am the one that has sent you, I want you to take water from the Nile, pour it on the ground, and it will turn to blood in front of their eyes. But here's the deal. As God is giving him this response, what is it that God is saying in response to Moses? He's saying, don't fear. Do not fear because I am the all-powerful God who will be with you. I have all power in the world and I am going to do things that you would never believe possible unless you saw them. But here's the thing. You're going to see them because I'm going to do them and I'm going to do them through you. And yet even with this, Moses still can't bring himself to say, okay. He throws up another excuse, letter D. But, but God, I'm not a great public speaker. Yeah, I'm really not the one that you should choose. Exodus 4.10, Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. What was Moses focused on? His lack of gifting. He looked at himself and thought, I don't have what it takes. Many commentators believe that maybe Moses struggled with stuttering or some kind of speech impediment, or as he spoke, he didn't come across intelligently, at least in his own eyes. And so he was fearful to speak to Israel on behalf of God, but even more than that, to stand in front of Pharaoh and to speak on God's behalf as well. And his response is, God, that isn't my gift. I've shared with you before that when I was in, uh, after my freshman year of high school, I went down to Mexico with my youth pastor, uh, and he, we were doing a sports ministry in the park, and Gary looked at me, and he told me that he wanted me to give the gospel message in, uh, to a group of people that didn't speak my language out in the park while we were doing this ministry, and I had all sorts of excuses why I couldn't do this. Are you kidding me, Gary? I, I don't know the language of these people. I've never spoken in front of people before, and quite honestly, I was incredibly insecure and had a very low self-esteem at that time in my life. I don't know the first thing, Gary, about teaching. That is not my gift. God gave that to you. You should handle that, not me. But Gary kept pressing me. I believe that God is telling me he wants you to do this. And I thought, why in the world, Gary, or God, why would you choose me? Here's the thing. I know that this experience is not unique to me. How many times have we been asked by someone in the church and or prompted by God himself in our time with him to serve him in some capacity, but our immediate response to him is, yeah, but that's not my gift. I'm not a good teacher. I'm not good in front of people. I'm not good with kids. Junior hires, they scare me. I ain't drip enough and I ain't got enough riz for high school students. I tried. In all seriousness, one of the biggest ones that I've heard over the years from so many people is that they'll say, I don't share my faith because I don't have the gift of evangelism. If you've been here at Westgate long enough, you will know that that is not going to fly with me. Because the truth is, no matter whether it's sharing our faith with people or serving God in any capacity that he calls us to, none of us has what it takes to do what God has called us to do. In our own strength and in our own power, we are completely hopeless. It's the reason, though, that the Bible calls the gifts we receive what? 
spiritual gifts. It's not about our talents and our abilities or things that we have developed ourselves over time or that we feel like we were born with innately, but they are spiritual gifts, gifts that God gives that are spiritually, supernaturally imposed with his power. And God is the one who will accomplish all of it through us when we are willing to be used by him. And I want to just pause quickly and say that there is a teaching that, when, at least when I was growing up in the church, that I think is really bad concerning spiritual giftedness. I have heard so many people use the excuse, that's not my gift, it's somebody else's. You know, in the church, well, at times, to help you maybe understand what your gifting could be or how God has gifted you, uh, we'll, we'll have you take a spiritual gift inventory test, and you'll answer a bunch of questions about what you're good at and what you're not. Sometimes it can be influenced by how we feel. And then we'll say the top three things on the list, the highest scoring, those are the gifts that God gave you. And what has happened in the church, while that can be a helpful tool, is that many people have said, well, those are my gifts and nothing else, and so this is the only place that I will operate. And can I remind you that all throughout the pages of Scripture, God has called men and women to things that they were not equipped for personally, that they did not have human strength or ability to accomplish, but God simply looked at them and said, I am going to give you what you need in the moment. As God's people, we have got to stop limiting his power. We have got to understand that when God calls us, he will equip us. Amen? God will give you everything that you need to accomplish everything that he has called you to do. What is God's response to Moses? He looks at him and he says, who gave human beings their mouths? Who is it that makes deaf or mute? Who gives sight or makes blind? He says, it's me. I'm in charge of it all. Could I not empower you, Moses, to do everything I've called you to do? I didn't have the gifting, the human ability, if you will, to stand in front of a group of people who didn't speak my language and share the gospel with them. I felt fully inadequate. But here's what I learned that day in Mexico, is that when God calls you, he will give you everything that you need exactly when you need it. It's the very reason that that day as I got up, scared out of my brains, stumbling over my words, that somebody made a decision to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Not because of me, but because of God working through a servant that was willing to say, all right, I give in. You'll see this picture on the screen. It's a picture of me and my youth pastor, Gary Barber. Gary, uh, this is just a few years ago. We were at the Alliance Council, uh, General Council Conference. We had the opportunity to meet up together. And it is that man in Mexico that when I was afraid to step out of my comfort zone and didn't believe that I had gifting, said, God is calling you. I believe it. I know it. I hear it. Trust him. If I had not listened and trusted God, I would not be where I am today. This man was so instrumental in my life to continually point me to Jesus and to say, trust him. God will give you everything that you need to do what he is calling you to do. And I want you to hear that same thing from me this morning. When you tell yourself, I don't have that gift, would you say, God, is it your intention to give me what I need to do what you are calling me to do? Here's the deal. We've looked at just four things that Moses used to put limits. He was so stuck on his nearsightedness, looking at all of the reasons why he could not do what God was asking. He couldn't see the bigger picture of who God was and how God could accomplish it through him. He was so stuck in nearsighted. But I actually think when you look at those reasons, there are a million more that we could list out as to reasons why we say no to God and put limits on him in our own lives. But really when you boil it down, in letter E, we get to what I believe was the real crux of the problem and the crux of the problem in many of our lives. And this is, it's this. Moses essentially says, I just don't want to do it. 
Exodus chapter 4, verse 13, but he said, oh, my Lord, please send somebody else. Moses was focused on other priorities. I don't know if the shepherd life out in the field of Midian with stinky sheep was a really sweet gig, but for some reason he had far more important priorities in his mind than to go and to be used by God. And I would ask you, how often do we let our priorities get in the way of God's call in our life? Where we've become so comfortable with our routines, where we've become so comfortable with the amenities that we have added to our lives, that to lose them or to move them aside to follow God would feel less than than following the best of what God has. That is called nearsightedness. Seeing the things of this world is more important than God's call on our life. What I want you to hear this morning is this, is that God's call on our life, as we talked about last week, isn't just a call to believe in him, but it is also to be used by him. You can write it this way in your notes. When God calls us to follow him, he calls us not just to salvation, but he also calls us to vocation. He calls us to join him in his kingdom work in this world. Ephesians 2.10 says it so well. The apostle Paul says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. God has not only purposed to call us to salvation, but then to deploy us to his kingdom work all throughout this world. And if we are ever going to move past our issues with nearsightedness of being focused on our fears and our insecurities or being distracted by things that cause us to think we've got it better and we don't want to follow God's plan, I believe there are three things we must understand if we're going to overcome this type of nearsightedness. Letter A, the greatest roadblock that I believe we face is a divided heart that acknowledges God but that focuses on worldly pursuits. The greatest roadblock we face is a divided heart that acknowledges God, but that focuses on worldly pursuits. It is so easy for us to live the Christian life and to say, I believe in God and to worship him, to go to church on Sunday mornings, but get ourselves so enamored in so many other things in this world that literally our hearts are divided, one foot in the world and one foot with God. And what I want you to hear this morning is this, God will never be satisfied with being an add-on to your life. He doesn't want to be one among many. He sent his son to die on a cross for your sin to reconcile you to God so that he could once again be the Lord of your life. He doesn't want half of your heart. He wants all of it. Because when you give all of it, your eyes become open to all of the incredible blessings that he wants to pour out in your life. And you begin to understand that as you look at this world and its brokenness, God is the one who has the best for you. We need to not have divided hearts. Letter B as well, we also need to understand that the life God is calling us to is impossible by ourselves. You know, we looked at a handful of roadblocks that were put up, but we could sit here this morning and come up with all of the excuses for God of why it is that we don't consider doing things that he is calling us to do, whether that's going overseas for missions, whether that's going into full-time ministry, whether it's serving within the church and discipling people, or whether it's sharing our faith, we have millions of excuses. And if it's left up to us, the Christian life as a whole is impossible to live by ourselves. It's true. We don't have what it takes. Overcoming sin, doing big things for God, but here's the beauty of the gospel, letter C, is that the life God calls you to live is absolutely possible by the power of God's spirit who lives in you. God's power 
His spirit that lives in you is what enables you to do everything that he calls you to do. And I want to give you just five practical things as we close this morning to hold on to, to take steps towards taking the limits off of God and what he can do and truly trusting him with your whole heart. The first thing is this, is I want to ask you to, I want you to ask God what it is that he would have for you, that you would boldly go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to open up your eyes, to get your eyes off of all of the roadblocks and to see his great plan for your life. As you faithfully pray, maybe you will see that he's calling you into ministry. Maybe he's calling you to work in a kid's ministry or a student ministry within a church. Maybe it's to be a table mom in a mom life ministry. Maybe it's to start a ministry that Westgate doesn't have, but where you have seen a need. Maybe it's to share your faith more as you consider the people that God has placed in your circles that need to know him. I want to challenge you to ask God faithfully what it is that he would have for you to do. And then wait expectantly for his answer. But number two, be honest about what hinders you. Be honest with God about what hinders you. I love in this passage that Moses just like throws it all out there. Here are all my fears, God. Here are all my insecurities. Here are all the reasons that I'm not the right man for the job. And by the way, I just don't want to do it. He's honest, right? What would it look like for you to be honest, to share with God your fears when he calls you? To share with God your feelings of inadequacy or your lack of confidence in what you know. Or maybe you just need to be honest and say, God, I haven't wanted to give you my time because I've been focused on so many other things. Can I encourage you and challenge you to confess it and to get it out in the open and to ask God in the process to get your eyes off of the immediate roadblocks and onto him? You know, when we confess these things, there is power because Satan is no longer allowed to hold us, hold us hostage to those private thoughts. But when we pour them out to God, we can then really begin to deal with them. And number three, we can move to that place of believing all that God says. I want you to believe everything that God tells you. When he says that he will give you everything you need to accomplish everything that he calls you to do, believe him. He is the God that is in control of all things. And he has promised you his Holy Spirit, not just your own human abilities and talents, but he has promised you spiritual power that comes from him. Believe him when he says that he will equip you with everything that you need. Fourthly, connect with leaders in the church who will walk this journey with you. God has given you people within the body of Christ to go on this journey to help you explore what it is that God is saying, to help you move through your fears and your anxieties and your worries about the call that God has placed on your life. You know, one of the things that has been most encouraging to me over the past months has been watching the Eric's family as they began to feel this call that God put on their life to go to Germany. Literally, they've been doing what you and I have been doing doing our day jobs, living life. They've, got great, they've had great jobs. Kids are in school. Life is comfortable. And there's this twinge that maybe God is calling us to uproot and move everything. And they began to push in with the Lord. And they began to push in with people even here within the church and to say, will you pray with us? Will you help us to hear and to understand? They went overseas to say, maybe God will reveal something to us there. And when they did, he did. He was faithful. 
And it gave them the courage to now in just a week, we're going to be commissioning them to go overseas and serve in Germany for four and a half years, sharing the good news of Jesus with others and discipling young children. Why? Because they were willing to ask God what he would have, to be honest about what was holding them back, to believe with all of their heart what God was saying, that he would give them everything that they needed. And they walked with God's people who encouraged them and challenged them and prayed with them and equipped them. And God used all of this to bring them to a place to surrender, to say, God, I will follow your voice. Here's the fifth thing. You need to expect that God is going to do more than you could ever possibly imagine when you trust in his power. Church family, what is God calling you to? What have you been ignoring? What have you been pushing aside? What have you allowed fear and insecurity to hold you back from? What have you allowed your other priorities? What other priorities have you allowed to get in the way of what God wants to do in you and through you? And would you this morning be willing to go before the Lord and simply say, God, speak, because your servant is listening and I desire to follow you. Lord, I ask right now in this moment as we worship that your Holy Spirit would sweep through this room and that you would speak clearly to every individual to help us to understand what it is that you're calling us to. Is it a lifetime of serving you in full-time ministry or missions? Is it discipling people within our church, whether it's children or youth or mentoring others? Is it that you're calling us, Father, to be more active in sharing our faith with the people that you are placing in our circles every single day? God, you know each heart and individual in this room, and would your Holy Spirit speak in this moment? And help us to confess, Father, the things that hinder us, but then to believe that you will give us everything that we need as we surrender our hearts to you, to your glory and your glory alone. Amen.
close our service this morning, I actually want to invite uh, up on the platform, you can be seated for just a moment, I want to invite our Costa Rica mission team uh, to come and join us and also Josh Cook uh, as we talk about answering God's call and being sent by him. We have a number of people that have uh, answered that call and uh, this morning we have the privilege as we close our service of uh, commissioning them uh, to the Lord's service. So would you welcome them as they come up on stage here together this morning. Jules, take it away. All right. Well, I get to share um, a little bit about our Costa Rica team. We have Dan Russell. He's leading the trip. His wife, Libby, Olivia Silvernail, Caleb Wise, Sophia Lazardo, Ella DeVern, and Maddie Tomaszewski. They are our young adult crew that will be going to Costa Rica on Saturday. They will be there for 10 days uh, working with Inkalink Costa Rica, which is a partnership that Westgate started this last year. We sent our first squad this past summer, and we're dreaming about sending, we sent our youth, we're dreaming about sending family trips even this summer, if that's something you want to be part of. But we're excited about what Inkalink is doing, which is reaching the 300 million youth in Latin America, partnering with the, uh, with the Christian Missionary Alliance National Church of Costa Rica. So there's 88 countries that have Christian Missionary Alliance denominations that we connect with. And so um, Dan will be uh, leading this team. Dan, will you share what you guys are going to be up to the, for those 10 days and then the prayer request you want us joining you in? For sure. Um, yeah, we're going to be going down. Uh, we're leaving Saturday. Uh, and we are going to be running a VBS um, for the, the majority of the time that we're down there. We're in charge of uh, running the games. And so it's super exciting. Uh, we've got kids from like kindergarten to like 16. So a wide variety of ages. So you have to do different games. Kindergartners, they're like super literal, which I found out helping with Westgate uh, Wednesday Night Kids. Um, so it's been it's kind of frustrating, but it's also great. Uh, it's just very different games you had to create for that. Um, but it's awesome because we're going for VBS, and like a lot of these people up here that are going are involved in student ministry, kid ministry, stuff like that. So it's like God brought the perfect team together um, to go and, and do this, which is awesome. Um, and I just want to just really quick thank all of you that have like supported us yes. to help us get there. Uh, that was something that I was like weighing on my heart, my mind. And so like the church is giving and making that like one less worry has been amazing for us. So totally thank you for it. that. Um, and, and praise God for that. Uh, and also we're going to be hanging out with like college students. Uh, the Costa Rica College is right there where we're going to be at. And so we're going to be going there and hanging out. And there's a coffee shop they just opened up through Inkalink. I'm um, trying to connect with the college campus. So we'll get to go see that. So that's really cool to be a part of what they're doing and trying to start up there. Um, so really excited. It's going to be awesome. And something you can pray for us about is, you know, that we don't get sick while we're there or, you know, before we go there, that we get safe travels. But more importantly, like just... Libby and I have been praying this over us and the team, just being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Uh, we want to go and like have our, our hands open and just be in the moment every single day, not worrying about tomorrow or later that night or like what's going on at home, but just being present there and saying, Holy Spirit, what do you got for us right now? Um, I was kind of thinking as I was sitting down there of like, you know, like when you have a bruise or a cut and like, like it's touched or pushed, it's like you can like feel it instantly. And like, that's what I want like us to be with the Holy oh. Spirit. Like, boom, we feel them. And we're obedient to be like, okay, let's step into whatever that opportunity might be. Um, and so that's really what I want for us as, as we go as a team. We're excited. That's awesome. And we also have the opportunity to commission this morning uh, Josh Cook. Many of you know Josh, and uh, he has been serving uh, faithfully in Ukraine. And, uh, you know, as he has served there, it's one of those places that, you know, maybe hasn't been high on my list to uh, go to. Uh, when you listen and you watch in the news about what is happening and bombs and missiles flying, you know, there are a lot of things that I would say yes to God to. But I have really thought, man, is that something I could do? It makes you pause and wonder 
But even in the midst of that, you know, Josh, you've been so faithful to God's call in your life to go and to share the good news of the gospel through the national church there. And as you head back, uh, would you share with us just a couple of ways that we can be praying for you as a church family? Yeah, absolutely. So um, a lot of you know that. I want to thank you like Dan did for wonderful support, my Westgate Chapel family for the last two years in relatively in Ukraine. And, and this last month I've been home. It's been a huge blessing. Um, but yeah, probably the number one thing I think of when I need a prayer request, right, for this next season is not what you see on the news, not the rockets hitting, the rocket attacks on Kiev or in the east where I often go. I can sleep through those these days. Now, that sounds crazy, but I can. But what keeps me up at night is the aspect of unity amongst our teams, amongst our churches. We have 30 churches in Ukraine, and I work in a church plant. And that's the ways, the ways you don't always think of, but the enemy can work with and trying to divide teams up and work that way because we don't let the war stop us. Missiles don't stop us from doing ministry activities, but division could. So a huge prayer for unity amongst our team, uh, the small team I'm working for would be really appreciated. That's awesome. Well, we're going to take a moment to commission each of these teams together. And so would you stand with us as we do? And if you're comfortable would you reach out your hand as we pray for them? And the elders and staff are going to come forward and lay hands as well. And let's pray together. Uh, God, what, it is, what a privilege it is to be the church that you invite us into your mission, that you've chosen us to be part, and you've changed each of our lives. And as I look at this team of seven heading to Costa Rica on Saturday, and Josh, they just have open hands saying yes. And I look at our church with our hands extended saying, yes, we, are, we believe and you, you've changed our lives and we want to be part of what you're doing. So thank you, God, that we are the church. I do pray over this group of seven, yeah, that they will just walk with you each step of the way as they are um, preparing this week and they've overcome many obstacles to get to this point um, and you have provided. And as they go, may they just be in tune with you. May they have ears to hear and eyes to see and the strength to follow through. And we are excited for their VBS endeavors, uh, partnering with Tres Rios Church in San Jose, Costa Rica, partnering with the Inca Link missionaries. Uh, we're excited for the way they're going to care for one another. Um, may they just be, um, yeah, your spirit moving. Uh, may they look more like you at the end of the trip. And as they come home on the 30th, after we've prayed them through, may we walk with them well as they, they take their next steps. Because we know that a mission trip is more than just the trip, but it's what we do as we come home. And so show us what it looks like to cover this team in prayer and walk with them as they had heard your voice and are uh, saying yes to, to whatever that next step is. Um, may we each, each of us as a church, just be in tune with you. And it's a privilege that we get to, to send, we get to pray for, uh, we get to mobilize uh, your, your people and for missions. So what a privilege, God. We just pray blessing over this group. And Father, I want to pray over Josh as he uh, prepares to head back this week. Father, we ask first and foremost that you would give him traveling mercy and that, Father, you would give him safety as he travels. Uh, we ask, God, for all of those flights and the connections and the train rides and uh, everything that, God, you would allow it to fall into place smoothly as he travels. Lord, we pray that everything that he has, uh, luggage-wise, it needs to get there, God, that you would allow it to get where it needs to be. Father, we pray for health as he returns, uh, that Father, when he returns, he would return with a lot of vigor and ability to jump right in to the work that you have called him to do. Father, we pray that uh, you would empower him through the strength of your Holy Spirit to have endurance. God, I pray over his heart. 
I pray over his mind that, Father, in the midst of a worn, torn nation, that you would keep his heart and his mind at peace. And that, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would help him to see the ways in which you are using him to lead more people to a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray over unity of their team. Lord, we know that Satan would love to do... To, to just divide this team in half to stop the work that you are doing. Lord, I pray that you would bring a unity that could only be experienced through the power of your Holy Spirit. And that, Father, it would be contagious that more people would see your son, Jesus Christ, and the people that are there, and that they would be drawn to him. Most of all, Father, I thank you for Josh. I thank you for how you have raised him in this church and how you have placed this calling in his heart and for his faithfulness to follow you. And I pray, God, your special blessing over him. I pray for Josh, and I pray for the Costa Rica Mission team. Lord, we commission each of them to you. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, would you give them ordained conversations with lost people that they would come to know your son, and would you be glorified? We pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, thank you for worshiping with us today. If uh, you have any prayer needs, our prayer team will be here at the front on both sides and would love the opportunity to be praying with you today. But as you go, please go and spend time asking God, God, how would you use me? And help me to keep my eyes off of my fears and all the other things that would distract me and my eyes on you and trust that he will do everything that he says he is going to do through you. God bless you and have a great week serving the Lord.